0: Well, as we get into Esther chapter two, we're gonna see God's queen is crowned. We're gonna see how God providentially raises Esther to leadership for such a time as this. And you know, God's got you where he's got you for a reason. He is a sovereign and providential God. And we're gonna watch him move in Esther two today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So chapter 2 opens with after these things. We always, when we see a phrase like that, we say after what things. It is true, if you've noticed, Pastor Michael does now have glasses up here. Uh, First service on Sunday, I was reading the text and I read the entire text And there were a few words that were blurry, and I was like, and finally, I decided I should probably surrender to the readers, which I do use privately, but I was fighting putting them out in public. So there it is. Anyway, I can't see you now, but I can see this. So anyway, should not get any applause whatsoever. But so here's what happens. This is chapter 1, verse 20. When the king's edict, which he will make, is heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. Remember, they were all concerned because Vashti had disrespected the king. This word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Mamukin proposed. So he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province, according to its script or language, to every people according to their language, that every man should be the master in his own house and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. A decree went out. The queen was deposed. The recommendation of the leadership was, hey, if she gets away with this, then all women in every household will think that they can do this to their husbands too. And the irony was that basically what the king accomplished by sending a decree to all 127 provinces is that he embarrassed himself even further and he made a federal case out of something that could have been handled in a different way. You can't write a decree to get respect from people. You earn respect. Respect is given. It, it is a two-way street, but we, we know how that works. And so after these things, after this debacle, after the drunken party, after the king you know, asking for her to come out and she refused him getting angry, all that happened, the decree goes out, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided. Some of you who are new to the book of Esther or maybe new to this study have Xerxes in your uh, uh, version because Xerxes is the Greek version of this king's name. So some of the versions have gone with the Greek name. Some go with the Aramaic name. And I told you that there are those who believe that the closest Hebraic rendering of this name, remember, it, w- it would move from Persian into Hebrew, is King Headache. Remember that? And so we did Pete Puma for you last week. How many of you remember Pete Puma? How many of you looked up Pete Puma just to see if I was even close? <laughs> Praise the Lord, a few of you. Eee. Anyway, we won't go there. So when the anger of King Ahasuerus had subsided, He remembered Vashti, chapter 2, verse 1, and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now, the king was reflecting on the happenstance, what had occurred in his court. He had calmed down and he started reflecting on what he had done. It's interesting to look at the order. He remembered what Vashti had done and then what he had decreed. But actually, if you remember what happened, he was the one that started this whole thing. She was having a separate party for the women in another part of the palace, and he's the one who said, I want her to come out, and I want her to show off her beauty. I want to parade my trophy wife before my drunken buddies. And she said no. So if there's a proper order here, it's you did this, king. You're the one that got the ball rolling. Then she said no. Then you made a decree, maybe because you were embarrassed, maybe because you were angry. Sometimes when we reflect on the order of things, we like to see it from our perspective, right? We, we often think, you know what, you're the one that started this. And then when we really think it through or we really revisit the bullet points, sometimes we're the one that took the first shot. We're the one that got the ball rolling. We need to be able to own that when we're guilty. We need to be able to say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that to start off with. I kind of pushed your button there, didn't I? I kind of got the ball rolling there, didn't I? I kind of I knew what to say so that you would respond and then I could blame you. That's pretty convenient when we do that as people. So here's the king. He's reflecting. He's calmed down. Usually when we calm down after an event like this, we have a lot of reflecting to do. And remember I told you last week that there are some believe that Vashti was killed. It wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't put it past the Persian Empire to kill her. Some believe that she was deposed or even banished. Was he thinking about restoring her? If she was still alive, did he think about maybe, you know what, I'd like to have her back. I'm sure he had some love for her, at least in some way. She, after all, she was the queen. Did he have regret? He had made a decree and according to Persian law, he couldn't revoke his own law. We've seen that in some of the Old Testament books that once a king was talked into something and it became a royal decree, technically he couldn't even reverse it himself. Have you ever had a moment in your life where maybe you said something in a moment of anger or maybe under peer pressure or getting bad counsel and you made a decision and and it rolled out there and now you get to live with the consequences of that bad decision and that bad counsel. We've all been there before. And so now he was reflecting, and he remembered her. You know, God has given every person a conscience. One of the the, uh, insights into the fact that you've been made in the image of God, we call that in the Imago Dei in the Latin, that you're an image bearer, back to the book of Genesis, is that you have a conscience. Conscience is two Latin words. It's con, C-O-N, science. And the word literally means with knowledge. Science is another word for knowledge. A synonym for science is knowledge. So science is actually the search for knowledge. Kind of wonder in our society if it's really that. But anyway. So to have a conscience is to see things with knowledge. And what is the knowledge about? What knowledge did God put in you since you're an image bearer? He put the ideas of right and wrong within your heart. In fact, Romans 2, you can look at verses 14 and 15 later, say that God has written his very law on our hearts and our conscience bears witness to that law. And it either accuses or excuses us. If we do what's right, our conscience won't bother us. If we do what's wrong, our conscience will bother us. And it is possible as the New Testament unfolds even to sear your conscience so that you you violate your conscience so many times that even your conscience can become a bad guide for some. Your conscience must be informed by the Word of God. But if you don't sear your conscience, then your conscience, like Jiminy Cricket said, your conscience can be a pretty good guide. But he said that's just the problem with people these days. right? They don't listen to their conscience. Sometimes we look at people and we wonder, do they have a conscience? Well, even the king, with all the wrong things that he does, he thinks about what's happened here. From a chronological standpoint, for those of you who are interested in the dates, it was the third year of the king's reign, 483 BC, when Vashti refused to come and parade her beauty before him and his drunken friends. Before the elevation of Esther, about four years passed. Esther is made queen in the seventh year of his reign, which is 479 BC. We'll see that in uh, verse 16 and 17. So during this time, we have some information from a historian named Herodotus. And he says that this king was off fighting a disastrous war with the Greeks. In fact, he lost a major battle at Thermoply and a couple of other skirmishes as well. So during this time... When Vashti is kicked out and, or deposed, he goes off to war. And we would conjecture that he's fighting war for about maybe three years. And each war he fights in, from the extra-biblical sources that we have, he's defeated. He has a military defeat, a military deficit. And the writers of this time, or who are commenting on this time, say that he has lost respect in the eyes of his subjects, his, his people that serve him have lost respect for him. And when you lose, when you go off to battle, whatever your battle may be, and you get defeated, you lose. Whether it's at work or in a relationship, or maybe you're an athlete and you've had a bad season, or uh, you're you know maybe you've just been dealing with health problems or injuries. It's hard. And sometimes when you can't do what you normally do, you have extra time to reflect. Or sometimes you have to live in the bed that you made or in the defeats, in the wake of the defeats. And this is where he was at this time. When Esther rises to the throne, the king is reeling from multiple defeats on many levels. So it's just kind of an interesting backdrop to see what's going on. And uh, the, in uh, Matthew 26, 52, Jesus says these words in where I'm going with this is that your sin will find you out. Uh, If you play fast and loose with people's lives, eventually it will come back to you. Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, which is a verse for this Sunday, says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And here's what we know. We know that Ahasuerus was an immoral man. In fact, when he returned from these battles, Herodotus describes the king's life after his military defeats as one of sensual overindulgence. He was spending suspicious time with some of the wives of his officers. This naturally naturally produced anger and resentment in them. This king, who Esther rises to the throne was assassinated in his bedroom about 14 years after You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Pastor Michael Lance and everyone at Walk in Truth wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your partnering with this ministry, whether through prayer, by listening, and of course, financially. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael is the head pastor. We are looking to get Walk in Truth on many more radio stations, but we need your financial support to be able to do that. Please visit the website walkintruth.com. Click the donate button at the top, and that's where you'll learn more on how you can give online or through the mail and become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. And God bless you for your donation. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. He was spending suspicious time with some of the wives of his officers. This naturally naturally produced anger and resentment in them. This king, who Esther rises to the throne, was assassinated in his bedroom about 14 years after these events in 465 BC. And I just put in my notes, your sin will always find you out. And a man who put so much emphasis on the bedroom, and you're going to see how this unfolds in a moment, he was sexually overindulgent to say the least. In fact, he probably is singularly responsible for ruining the lives of hundreds and hundreds of women, and we'll talk about how this worked in a moment. It came back to bite him, and a couple of his own subjects assassinated him in the very place where... Perhaps he, you know, tried to find pleasure and and escape or whatever it may be. And I don't have to tell you that that's where our society is right now. An overemphasis on sex, uh, a redefinition in many cases of it. uh, What God created to be beautiful and right in its proper context has been muddied. And so this is the world into which Esther is thrust. And it's not a pretty world. The world of Persia was an ugly place where the powerful got their way. You served at the decree of the empire and if the empire said you jump, you say how high? Or you died. These were exiles. These were captives in a foreign land. Persia was the most powerful uh, kingdom in the world at this time although Greece obviously was making its headway. And so, why is Esther here? Why is Mordecai here? One reason. The disobedience of their ancestors. I shared the story that we were in Israel in the spring, and we were on a rooftop overlooking Jerusalem, and we were hearing the prayer calls from the the Muslim uh, shrine, and when we were looking at the area of Israel and we were just kind of contemplating where they were as a nation, how much atheism and agnosticism exists, how many different religious persuasions are there and so forth, uh, there was another sister in Christ and myself that kind of had the same feeling at the same time, that this, today's Jerusalem, if you go, you may be shocked to see how, uh, multicultural and how much pluralism and religious pluralism is going on there, but it is a result of a people who would not believe God. And if you can kind of take that idea and place it in the book of Esther, Esther is in the Persian court because her ancestors wouldn't believe God. Now, a person like you or I, we are not responsible for God, before God, for our parents' sins. The book of Ezekiel makes that clear. We don't pay the price. We're not judged for their sins. But we can certainly swim in the consequences of their sins. And so if they were rebellious toward God or didn't do things God's way, that reverberates out to us. How many of you have swam in those waters for a while? (laughs) Maybe all of us to some degree or another because of disobedience and dysfunction and so forth. So this was a crucial time for the king, and he had been humbled, and he was doing some deep thinking. He was thinking about what the queen had done, what he had done to her, as I mentioned apparently in that order, and I think he had a tinge of regret, because he made the decision in all likelihood while he was drunk, He deposed the queen. He listened to these so-called advisors while under the influence of alcohol. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands. But I would imagine that this room has some folks in it that made some pretty poor decisions under the influence of alcohol. And I would venture to say that maybe other substances as well. Because, you know, it just seems like that is the path for many, many people to indulge in those areas, and then to reap the consequences of opening your life to be under the control of a substance like that. And so here's the king, and the king's attendants who served him said, well, they saw the king, You could tell he was down, they said, here's an idea, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Hey, king, you're down, man, we got to do something. Maybe they they even sensed that he was thinking about the queen and the decision that he made. So So somebody said, hey, let's go. We'll go get a bunch of young ladies from all over the kingdom and we'll bring them before the king. Now, at this point, it would have been really good if someone in the Persian court went to the king and said, hey, king, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and make things right. The answer is not to go get another hundred concubines into your court because that's never going to satisfy. And that's the reason, the reason that you feel guilty right now is because of the decisions that you have made and the fact that you've lived the way that you've lived and you've abused people. If someone would have been in his ear, but that was Risky. And it is risky to speak the truth to a person above you, especially a person who could kill you, (laughs) right? It's hard for us to tell the truth to a friend who's going the wrong direction or a person who may be compromising, but maybe we see their compromise is not as bad as other people's compromises. So for the sake of a friendship or political correctness or you name it, we don't tell them the truth. But Ephesians 4.15 says we are to speak the truth in love. See, do you really love someone if you won't tell them the truth, or do you love yourself too much to do what's called the practice of non-rockabotus? I don't want to rock out a boat. That's the Latin or the Italian. So you live your life in with this non rockabotus mentality. Whatever I do, I know a rock at a boat. So you never rock the boat, but people around you are rocks. <laughs> because you, you don't speak the truth. Now, there's a way to speak the truth. We all need to speak the truth in humility and gentleness and respect because we know we could fall in a microsecond, too. I don't go to somebody and you know, get the biggest Bible I have and, Hey, dummy! Hit him over the head with it. Wake up and fix your hair while you're at it. You know, that's not the proper approach. You're probably not going to get a lot of positive vibes from that. But if you pray, and if your intention is to save that person from further harm, if your intention is restoration of their life, I think in the end they'll appreciate it, even if in the moment it's not comfortable. In fact, in in the book of Daniel, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel 4.27, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Listen to this. Break away from your sins. Daniel said that to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man alive at that time. And you know, a year later, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God because he wouldn't listen. And he went out, and he started eating grass like an animal. But a year before that, Daniel had warned him, if you repent, you can spare yourself this stuff. It would be nice if not everybody has to learn things the hard way. (laughs) And so the advice that was being given to the king was that there needed to be a new queen and Vashti needed to go. And it was coming mainly from a man named Mamukin. That's one of my favorite new names in all the Bible. Mamukin, I just like saying it. What's up, Mamuk? Well, Mamukin, there's evidence that from the seven closest closest advisors to the king that the Persian kings would get their wives from those close-knit families. And so Mamukin may have had ulterior motives. Because he was thinking if Vashti was deposed, if she was kicked out and one of his family members married the king, guess what that would do for him? Do you know that when people give give you advice, please listen. If they're not a person that is godly and has your best in mind, it is hard to for people not to give you advice with a tinge of a selfish motive. So be careful who you get advice from. Because it's hard for people not to weave self into the advice that they even give to you. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard yourself giving advice, walked away from it and went, you know what, that was a lot about me. Hey, if you do this, I could personally benefit. We don't say that out loud. And so that's what was going on. If somebody tr- truly cares about you, they will give you what Proverbs 15:31 calls a life-giving reproof. He whose ear listens to a life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise, Proverbs 15:31. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility, Proverbs 15:31 through 33. It would have been nice if someone in that court had sat down with the king and just said, hey, king, I don't think that this is the right thing to do. I don't think that you need another relationship right now. I think maybe you need to focus on God, but there was nobody there. Or maybe there was somebody there who knew the living God but was afraid to say something. Well, we can all say that we certainly understand when someone has the truth but hesitates to speak Because it can be difficult in our culture. It can be difficult in your workplace. It can be difficult in your family. It's not always popular to speak the truth. But Jesus said, when people know the truth about me, it will set them free. And certainly the king needed someone to speak up and speak out. And we need to do the same. We need wisdom on what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and even when to be quiet, as we've talked about in the past. But may God give us the boldness to speak the truth in love. Well, remember to check out our website there. You can listen to this entire teaching series on the book of Esther. You can share it with family and friends. And as we've been mentioning, you can also get a flash drive of the entire series for a $30 donation. You can find out all the information at walkintruth.com. When you go on the website, you can also get past teaching. You can check out the store. There's a lot there for you at walkintruth.com. So visit today and tell a friend about what you're hearing, and tell them about the website as well. Well, remember, folks, we are a listener-supported ministry, and we're at least we're trying to become one, and we do need more partners. So please consider becoming one as you visit walkintruth.com. You can set up monthly giving, and that would help us to expand into more regions of the country to reach more people like you. Click the Donate button on the top right-hand corner of walkintruth.com. God bless you. We appreciate you guys very, very much. We have part two of God's Queen is crowned next time on this program. Until then, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.